Involve. Solve. Evolve. Welcome to Cloud Crunch, the podcast for any large enterprise planning on moving to or is in the midst of moving to the cloud. Hosted by the cloud computing experts from Second Watch, Ian Willoughby, Chief Architect Cloud Solutions, and Skip Berry, Executive Director of Cloud Enablement. And now, here are your hosts of Cloud Crunch. Welcome back to another episode of Cloud Crunch. I am joined today by Rob Whelan as my co-host today, as Skip Berry is taking so much needed time off today. We have a very exciting guest today, Joe Kinsella, VP and CTO at Cloud Health, which is a VMware company. Joe's an entrepreneur and technologist who's passionate about Boston and Cape Cod, I suspect, baseball and all things cloud, not necessarily in that order either. He founded Cloud Health in 2012 with the goal of disrupting the growing complexity of cloud computing. The company was bought by VMware in October 2018 after becoming a global leader in public and private cloud management for enterprises, partners, and SMBs. Joe was previously VP in engineering at Amazon-backed cloud archiving company, Sonian where he was a pioneer of using multi-public clouds at scale and also building one of the earliest cloud centers of excellence, which is what we're gonna be discussing today. He was also a managing director at Dell, where he led global engineering teams delivering multiple software as a solution products or SaaS products, and VP of engineering at Silverback Technologies, which was acquired by Dell, where he helps pioneer remote IT management software. Joe also has the unusual distinction having been a member of the first Scrum team. As a founding member of the ESL Synchronicity team before the advent of the Agile Manifesto. Joe, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Ian. Glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So today's topic is going to be uh, Cloud Centers of Excellence and all things related around that of cloud. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Excellent. Joe, tell us, what is a Cloud Center of Excellence? Uh, that's a great question. I think um, the industry has put a lot more definition, I think, over the last several years around a cloud center of excellence. It's usually called a cloud center of excellence, but I've seen many different terms for it. So I've, I've heard many companies also use a cloud business office. In some cases, organizations just call it their platform teams. But basically, it's a group of cross-functional leaders who get together, and together they start to drive the best practices and standards that govern the cloud implementation across their organizations. And this is really driven from a change that a lot of people don't fully appreciate that has happened in the cloud, which is pre-cloud, all of our usage of infrastructure and all of our deployments of applications were all controlled by central IT. So your IT organization made available the infrastructure and or the applications and then had control over managing them. And in the post-cloud world, management in a large enterprise is occurring in some cases in a thousand or more places across the organization, as opposed to being located solely in central IT. And I think that change is really a seismic shift. And it's, it's brought both agility and innovation across organizations, but it's also brought risk. And so Cloud Center of Excellence is a way to manage that risk. Awesome. Well, that's great. Uh, how can companies ensure that they have the elements in place for it to be successful? Yeah, I think it really starts with, first and foremost, with the recognition that you actually uh, need to build a cloud center of excellence. So you'd mentioned in my intro, you'd mentioned that I built one of the early cloud centers of excellence, and that was in the 2010-11 timeframe. And what had happened in my experience is I 
had really scaled up my company's use of the public cloud. In fact, we were one of Amazon's largest customers back in the 2010-11 timeframe. And then after scaling it up, I ended up bringing it multi-cloud across multiple other public clouds. And what I found is that the cloud just moves at a pace that is very different from the pace that occurred inside traditional data centers. In fact, it occurs at a pace that in many cases is four to five orders of magnitude faster. So if you step back and you think of a one order of magnitude, you know, if I add another zero onto your bank account, that, that seems like a pretty seismic change to you. But you had four to five zeros on top of that, that bank account, and that's a big difference. And so what we saw is that the cloud moves so quickly that you need a way to govern. So, so I used to, in the early days of building this out, I used to call it distributed management, centralized governance. And so the goal is to bring a group of cross-functional people together from finance and operations and architecture and security and to allow them to not dictate, not control, but to put in place standards and best practices and make all the places where management of the cloud is occurring more effective. Oh, that's great. So now you did this in what year? Going back. I joined uh, Sony as VP of engineering in 2010. We went multi-cloud in 2011. And over the course of a series of several years, ended up on four different clouds. So in uh, cloud years, that was about 77 years ago, if I do the math correctly. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. So looking at that, obviously, you know, the cloud has changed, right? It has and it hasn't. There's been a lot of new capabilities. Do you think that model, what you did then, would you change anything different from then to now? Oh, without a doubt. I think at the time, I think it, you, you really have to adapt your cloud center of excellence to the needs of your business. And you also have to adapt it to the state of your maturity. And so I think there's a long conversation we could have if we had more time around just maturity. But in our organization, we were a tech company. So we had different needs as a tech company. We were going to market through a channel. So that kind of drove a different business model that really impacted how we thought about harnessing the power of the cloud. And we had a very clear strategy of how we were using the public cloud and how we're using multi-cloud. I think in some organizations, they have greater scale. They sometimes have less strategy. They have different business needs. So I really think you need to build your cloud center of excellence around first that recognition I talked about, but you need to get the organizational commitment that over time, your needs will change around what you need from a cloud center of excellence and what you expect from your cloud center of excellence. So I think you have to adapt it to the specific organization, but I think it starts with you know, the recognition you need to do this to scale. And I say this to all companies that I meet where I'm meeting a leader who's scaling in the public cloud, and I will tell them, you will hit a wall. If you do not put in place best practices, standards, if you do not invest in the cloud center of excellence, there will be a tipping point at which that easy agility and that easy innovation that you received by leveraging the public cloud will suddenly turn against you. And so this becomes a mechanism that it's not discretionary. It's actually a prerequisite to scaling in the cloud. So you mentioned, Joe, that um, you need a cloud center of excellence because you're managing a large number of people and also the pace of the cloud is just fast. Things keep changing. Is there anything that's a constant that you've seen in, in governance? Anything that it would be a constant from 2010 to now in terms of what people should be looking at? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. So there's really three areas that I focused on in 2010 and 11. And those three still today represent the foundation of a cloud center of excellence. So the, the first is financial management, which is as you go to a public cloud and you start to try to unlock the innovation and agility of, of a public cloud, it comes 
with a risk of budget overruns. And, you know, in fact, you see many CFOs who bought into the strategy of the public cloud only to find that they're paying for data centers and now they're increasingly paying for really large and growing public cloud bills as well. So you really need to be deliberate in terms of how you do financial management in your cloud center of excellence. And that's something that you can't do across 100 or 1,000 different places across the organization. It needs to be centrally governed. Second's operations, which is really to, to really harness the power and scale in the cloud. I think you need to put some standards and best practices in place. Often these start around configuration. And it's around, it's around tagging policies. It's around reference architectures of for these workloads, we spin up these types of virtual machines with this type of attached storage and these types of performance characteristics. But standardization becomes a prerequisite to repeatability and really drives your ability to gain the best ROI from the cloud. And then the last, I would just say, is security and compliance. It's an area where when you run at cloud speed, you, know, you really need to know that you have confidence and integrity that all those places where the cloud is being managed day-to-day and changes are being driven day-to-day don't end up putting you on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Yes, that's uh, it's often not where you want to be, not for the wrong reasons. One of the things, though, I do want to make sure our listeners really understand, too, is, is that you talked about being a tech company and how involved you brought in finance. And I think this has been a successful model. We've seen it over and over again as well. And I just don't think we can reiterate it enough. I think a lot of people look at it and say, it's a painful thing to do. But I know, and you have this experience too, you can get them there where they're all contributing equally, all those stakeholders. That's right. I mean, there's been a revolution in finance, I think, over the last five years in terms of finance's engagement in management of cloud and infrastructure. And initially, we didn't really understand how finance could effectively engage. But I think now there's an emerging model guided by the Cloud Center of Excellence that I think is becoming highly effective. And you know, we're seeing organizations go from leveraging the cloud and their justification is agility and innovation, but it's coming at a cost to increasingly organizations actually getting better economics and being able to do things in the public cloud they can't do inside their data centers. Yeah, no, that's great. So a couple of recurring themes I see in your background is agile and I see cloud. And in today's environment, you know, with the CCOE or Cloud Center of Excellence, how is that still so important? Yeah, I think if you look at my background, you'll see at one point in time, I worked for Dell through an acquisition of a company. And I remember at Dell, we used to have this annual cycle we would go through of planning our infrastructure for the next year. So we'd have our business plan, we'd have you know what we want to do achieve from a roadmap perspective, and we'd go about actually uh, deploying in the data centers what we needed, and it would take, in some cases, weeks and months to actually procure the equipment and then rack and stack it and then put the operating systems and the applications. And, and there was this rigidity to the process, but that's how things were done a decade plus ago, right? I think what happened with the cloud is the cloud was not something that got adopted by central IT. It it got adopted by a team and a department and a line of business. And then from there started to spread almost virally across an organization. And I think one of the things that we need to appreciate is that that freedom to go drive those decisions, that freedom to make the day-to-day management decisions, the freedom to actually provision what you want when you want it is part of the agility that we get from the cloud. And so so the key of a cloud center of excellence is not to over-rotate, which is that freedom is what is giving you the innovation. It's one of the powers that comes with the cloud. You have to strike this balance of providing the agility and innovation and all the benefits of the cloud, but doing it in a way 
that is is not adversely impacting uh, your teams and their ability to get things done for the organization. So this shift from, hey, I'd like to go to the cloud for innovation and agility to finally maybe getting some economics benefits out of it. What are some some common trends you're seeing there? How do you do that? What companies and, and what teams are actually getting those economic benefits from the cloud? Yeah, I think the places where we find that you don't get the economic benefits from the cloud tend to be traditional applications. So if you look, we've We've kind of lived for the last couple decades with an architectural model in which the operating system is kind of central to the way that we actually build and deploy and manage applications. And when you look beyond the operating system, whether that's containers or just the rich array of platform services that you see available today, you start to see opportunities to actually uh, leverage the cloud in ways that you couldn't actually leverage inside your data center. So, so as an example, at, um, at my previous company, we really leveraged the spot marketplace. So we had uh, some workloads that were heavily analytic driven and they needed burst capacity. And so we used to, we, we would automate acquiring the optimum price for compute and then discarding it. And so we, we basically built idempotent workloads where everything was disposable and everything could follow peaks and valleys in terms of demand. And so when you start to do that and you start to align supply and demand in a way where it's reactive and responsive, I think you start to really unlock the power of the cloud because you're not making the capital expenditure for the infrastructure that you, you have available to you. You're just consuming it only when you need it. And so I think... Today, when you think about this, 10 years ago when I was doing this, it didn't apply to every workload. And most workloads, most open source are built around the operating system as the you know, central component of, which your, of your application architecture. But today, increasingly, there's a lot of workloads where you can take advantage of that. And the more you start to actually build cloud-native or cloud-centric architectures, I think the, the, the more potential you have to actually unlock the financial potential. Yeah, I think it, what I've seen in uh, cloud consulting for the past few years is uh, people who come straight to the cloud with sort of a legacy workload are going to be disappointed usually in the, in the economics. Um, if you just run it the way you ran in the data center, it's just going to be costly and you're not going to have those awesome cloud benefits. What's interesting is if you really seek for that agility, so for example, with containers or, or serverless, that's where you actually get the economic benefits. Of course, it's sometimes costly to get there if there's a lot of refactoring, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's my experiences as well. And I think sometimes people, they believe that they're going to the cloud to actually save money. And that's actually a journey. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to achieve that destination. It takes a lot of investment and it takes a lot of re-architecture or implementing new architectures to be able to actually achieve that. So I think you're spot on. I think that's been my experiences over the last decade as well. So can you tell us more about cloud maturity? So maybe there's four steps of cloud maturity. Tell us about that. So we at Cloud Health, we've put forward this cloud maturity model. And it's interesting because it's based on 10,000 plus customers that we've worked with in the cloud. It's based on patterns that we've seen across these customers and what's worked for them. And in the maturity model, like a traditional maturity model, the bottom left is all about being immature in the cloud and the upper right is being highly mature in the cloud. But what we've seen is, is there's effectively three areas of investment you need to make to scale and mature in the cloud. And those are what I mentioned before, which is it's financial management operations and security. But there's, 
there's four phases that you go through in each of those areas of investment. And it starts at the uh, most basic level. It starts with visibility. And visibility is, a, is often about what am I running? Why am I running it? You know, how much is it costing me? How does it align from a business perspective? It's, you know, visibility gives you the connective tissue that allows you to make smart decisions, but it doesn't actually make those decisions obvious to you. Uh, the next phase after visibility is all around optimization. And so this is whether, you know, in the financial management side, it's around how can you make a workload be sized appropriately so that it's not over capacity, but yet can support the demand that it has. In the case of security, uh, optimization uh, can be, how is it that I proactively uh, monitor across all the changes that are occurring today, which could be hundreds of thousands, millions of changes across an enterprise, and make sure that the changes all fit into uh, our best practices and our standards and our policies. And then after you get to optimization, we find that companies really struggle with scaling up this model in the cloud. And so the next phase we call governance and automation. And this is around moving away from just pushing out more dashboards or notification alerts or, or reports to your stakeholders. And it's about how do I proactively monitor for the ideal state I want my workloads and my applications and my business services in? And then how is it that I automate the outcomes that I want? And so this is about removing the people, removing the human error from it, and trying to actually keep in the optimum state all the time or nearly all the time. And then the ultimate state that we really help steer our customers towards is uh, what we call business integration. And this is where the cloud gets integrated into your enterprise dashboards, it's integrated into your service catalog, and it's, it's really connecting out across the organization. It's no longer the destination of the cloud that you're focused on. It's just part of how you uh, transact your business. So shifting gears a little bit, there's been, uh, obviously, cloud center of excellence is key to all those as well. But there are other models that people have started to talk about. They may or may not cover all the same things. One of them is the cloud enabled engine. We're seeing some more nomenclature around that. What are some of your thoughts on that? I mean, I think there's a number of different models. Some of them are, are focused more around how you drive an organizational transformation. Some of them are more around uh, governance and scale. I think I wouldn't stand here to tell you that there's only one model that applies to all of your problems. I think where the cloud center of excellence fits best is as you're scaling your usage of the cloud across um, multiple teams, especially if there's any organizational complexity, I think that's where you really invest in the, the cloud center of excellence. It's a way to actually successfully scale without putting your business at risk, without having cost overruns, without impacting SLA. That's the place that I think the CCOE fits. But there's other models. Like, you know, you look, I think some organizations are trying to drive an organizational transformation around the cloud. That's not what a CCOE is all about, right? You know, so there's other models that apply for different problems. Fantastic. Okay, given all that, Joe, I mean, I, going through the maturity model, I think was was really interesting, especially the business integration. That's kind of like cloud nirvana that a lot of people envision. But I don't think you can skip over any of those phases. Given your view of the landscape, what areas of excellence should organizations focus on to sort of measure their cloud maturity? I think what I would do is I think there's different metrics that we recommend and see um, make organizations successful at each of those different areas of investment. So I think there's, there's metrics that we recommend around financial management, around operations, as well as security. But there's also metrics you can look for, uh, whether it's visibility, optimization, governance and automation, or business integration. But I think they change as you mature. So as an example, 
uh, a metric that you might use for financial management when you're really at the visibility stage might be as simple as how much am I spending in the cloud and how does it align by team or cost center or department or business unit, whatever the perspective is that you actually want to look at that data by. But by the time you actually get to business integration, it's more around integration with your KPIs. It might be, what's my cost per document per month? Or, you know, what's my cost per user per month? And how is that changing uh, today or this week? So I think there's a set of metrics you can use, but they alter as you start to mature. Yeah, I can see that that kind of tight integration being absolutely amazing. Do you have any stories of customers you've seen do that really well? I have, you know, and so I actually, when the story of Sony, and I actually did this myself, and it was kind of an interesting story, which was when I came in, I was brought in as a turnaround VP of engineering in this uh, really fast-growing startup that was uh, entirely based in the cloud. And we, we reached a point where the cloud spend was going up rapidly. In fact, I had a month where I got a $350,000 AWS bill not long after joining, which I can tell you in 2010, early 2011, was really substantial. You didn't have a lot of companies doing that today, less interesting, right? And, uh, and I did the analysis and looked at it from a business perspective. And the fundamental uh, metric by which we were actually driving the business was cost per document per month. And what I was finding was the cost per document per month was running around $2.04 per document per month. And I thought, well, that's interesting data. And I went back and I did the analysis and found that it was around 84 cents was the break-even point from a business model perspective. Mm. And so effectively, we were running a business that was just going to lose money in the cloud if there wasn't a substantial change in direction. And uh, by the time I left, I had it down to uh, around 32, 34 cents per document per month. And it was this you know, seismic transformation. It was an example of a a business model that was not going to work in the cloud to a business model that actually had a competitive advantage by being in the cloud. And so I think I've seen that story myself firsthand, and I've seen examples of other customers who've been able to drive that type of business transformation. You know, that kind of story is great, by the way. I mean, that's a huge decrease in costs, and that's near and dear to my heart. So I wanted to ask a question to tie that back to you know, the original definition of the cloud center of excellence, you know, financial operations and security. So culturally, how do you, how do you get that story of like, Hey, here's the end goal of business integration. How do you get people who are either on the cloud center of excellence or, or will be on the cloud center of excellence to embrace that, that end state? Do you find that they're, they adopt that easily or does it take a little bit of work? Yeah, it depends on the organization. What we have found in general is at the most basic level, when you're at the visibility phase, it's just you provide the information. So you bring the information often at a uh, phase of visibility, you're bringing it down to uh, key stakeholders across a department or a team, but not down to, say, individual developers who might be on a team. But your goal should be, you know, initially to start to push the information out, but not necessarily with a point of view, you know, not with this is good, this is bad. It's just to start to raise, in the case of financial management, I call it the the cloud cost IQ, which is, you know, to the extent that you can start to raise that cloud cost IQ and that awareness of cost, that's really the beginning of it. And then over time, I think the most successful organizations I've found is you need to have a bit of gamification of it where people are getting regular report cards and they're actually seeing their peers and they're seeing how they're scoring relative to their peers to be able to really start to 
drive a change across an organization. But I think it really requires a commitment top down to actually commit to driving a cloud center of excellence and having best practices and standards. Without that, it's often hard to get the ground up support. Uh, you'll get some level. What we've seen is organizations that don't have the top down commitment. They'll have pockets of excellence across the organization and then pockets where it's not occurring. And I think in the case of costs, that could take a public company from you know having a good quarter to having a bad quarter if you do that. It could take a company that might be in a high, highly regulated industry from, from having a security breach or not having a security breach. So having a not uniform adoption, I think, is a great risk across the organization. So I do think it starts with executive level commitment to building and investing in a CCOE. So looking forward, I don't believe there's really an end state in this transformational time period. Things keep maturing. There's new features. There's new technologies. What do you think's next? Yeah, I think we do live in the industry that's sort of the gift that keeps on giving, which is it constantly changes. And I guess the only thing we can rely on is it's it, it'll be different tomorrow than it is today. I think the things that I've been paying attention to is in terms of trends that I think are real big drivers over the next few years is certainly platform as a service. So when I started the company, uh, 98% of what was occurring in the public cloud was actually effectively virtualization. It was virtual machines and virtualized storage. And that really was 98% of what we called the public cloud. And then the other 2% was mostly S3. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, and you look today, like that's completely shifted. And I'm not saying that the dominant paradigm is actually platform as a service, but I'm beginning to see this change in terms of not just adoption of platform as a service, but also starting to treat it as almost a set of colors by which you can actually paint, a palette by which you can paint. And that there's, you know, I'm seeing, increasingly seeing organizations look at it not by vendor, you know, AWS platform services, you know, versus Google versus Azure platform services, but all of these comprising a set of underlying building blocks upon which they can bring applications to market. So I've seen companies that, that actually combine Azure, Google, AWS, all into a single business service and all with deliberate reasons of why they've chosen those platform services. So I think that's an exciting trend, which is to go beyond the barriers of a public cloud provider, but also start to leverage a rich platform services where the operating system isn't the core of our application architecture anymore. And I think from there, I think what you'll see is, is as that emerges, I think two trends will probably occur. One is a trend I call uh, micro SaaS, which is I think increasingly we're going to see third parties come out with very verticalized uh, solutions that build on top of these platform services that solve specific problems of, you know, whether it's uh, marketing or customer relationship management for us that we can use to build upon. But I also see a trend of, I think we'll start to see more third-party platform services that will be competitive, like a better solution to DynamoDB or, you know, better really vertically focused machine learning services. And so I think these are all trends that I'm watching. And I think this change is accelerating to actually leveraging the cloud. And the analogy I used to give years ago when I would do public speaking was I used to use the analogy of the digital camera, which is for anyone old enough to have seen a digital camera, which is before digital camera, you had film-based cameras. And I remember the very first digital camera I used, it had the exact form and function of a film-based camera, but it was digital. Like the buttons were in the same place and everything. And this is a classic trend that occurs with version of it tends to look like the predecessor technology. Just like 
the cloud looked like virtualization when we first saw it. But the 2.0 innovation is where the real disruption occurs. I think we're just getting started with the real disruption. Great. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I mean, can you expand on this the color palette concept? Is that what you see as part of this 2.0? Yeah, I do. I, I think a lot of people are struggling with, you know, vendor lock-in, no vendor lock-in. I see a world tomorrow where where services are available from many vendors. And it's not like the big three public cloud providers. You could have, you know, uh, small startups that provide one, two, three critical services to, uh, to the market. And so I think, um, you know, I see this world where we're just going to assemble those different services. And I, a couple of years ago, I was at a cocktail hour in um, San Francisco. I was up on a, you know, a rooftop and it was a medical imaging application and it leveraged Google machine learning with S3 for storage of the images with a set of other third-party services all brought together to actually deliver medical imaging. And it probably had five or six different vendors in the stack, all using different platform services. And I think what enables this that wasn't available to us today was the impediment really was always network costs because you needed to have your compute and your data close together. But I think as we look for microservice applications are really starting to break that barrier for us, which is now uh, data is smaller and data can be in, in you know, smaller units in closer proximity to lots of different areas of compute. And I think that architectural model is enabling us to actually look at different options in the cloud. Fantastic. So back to cloud health. How does cloud health enable organizations to move through their maturity journey? Yeah, I, I like to tell all prospective customers two things, which is having done this for over a decade now, that you need two things to be successful in scaling in the cloud. Uh, the first is you need a superior product that's purpose-built to drive and power your cloud center of excellence. And I'm sure you'll all forgive me if I'm somewhat biased in saying that I think that solution is, uh, is cloud health and is uh, you know, best in breed for that. But many people overlook the second thing that you need, which is you need an organization behind that product that can support you as you start from where you are today in your maturity model and start to slide up and to the right in your maturity and knows what you need today, knows based on working with hundreds or thousands of different customers what you're going to need tomorrow, and is there to provide the people-led services to enable you to be successful. This is why, you know, from the second watch perspective, I think it's particularly important, which is one of the reasons why Cloud Health, you know, really likes to partner with companies like Second Watch is because if you look at the complexity that's going on in the cloud, there is no way all customers can navigate that without finding a partner who really has, you know, focused and become an expert in the space. It's the only way you're going to be successful scaling in the cloud. And so, so we strongly believe in that. We know Second Watch strongly believes in it. I think we come from a place of realizing that you can't go it alone and be successful in the cloud today. That's great. Joe, I really want to thank you for your time this week. It's uh, been a pleasure to, to get to know you a little bit and hear a little bit more about your story. It's uh, very impressive. Uh, Rob, thanks for uh, co-hosting this week. And audience, we're always looking for your feedback. Please email us at cloudcrunch at secondwatch.com with ideas and suggestions. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Cloud Crunch with Ian Willoughby and Skip Berry. 
For more information, check out the blog, secondwatch.com slash company slash blog, or reach out to Second Watch on Twitter. 